You are listening to the non-microwave truth, and I am C.L. Whiteside. If this is your first time joining us today, you're like, why should I waste my 20 to 25 minutes to listen to you? Well, hopefully you won't be wasting any time listening to this. But this is a podcast that's geared towards challenging our culture's truth and perspective and putting a godly perspective on it, a godly spin, trying to be biblically truth with it. And that's how we came up with the title, The Non-Microwave Truth. Because a lot of things in our culture want to get microwave. People throw them in the microwave and you end up getting half truths or nuke truths or truths that really aren't 100% truth. So that's the whole focus of this podcast. How we get started usually is we start off with a first world problem question. Because, you know, first world problems really aren't problems. But, you know, our culture teaches us that if it's our problem, it's the biggest, most important problem in the entire world. But I was inspired by this first world problem because I was watching Kyrie Irving. And no, this is not going to be an episode about basketball. But this player I'm talking about, Kyrie Irving, he did not eat or drink anything from sunup to sundown. So if you ever played in a game or if you ever did some physical exertion, people want water in the middle of that. Like he didn't have any water, no Gatorade, no Powerade, no nothing. And he did this from sunup to sundown. He didn't have anything to eat or drink. Like I know some of y'all can't even make it a couple hours without having a snack or something to drink. But he did it from sunup to sundown. And some of you are probably like, that's not that big of a deal. I could do that. That's not a lot of hours. But it actually is. It's about 13 hours in most cases. About 13 hours. And he played an entire basketball game, entire basketball game. Now, the first world problem question is this. He got asked the question, like, how can you do this with no tr- nutrition in your body? And he started talking about a journey with God. And he said a whole bunch of other stuff. But he pretty much said, God is inside of me. God is inside of you. He was talking about the spirit of God being inside of him. And to break this down a little more for you, Kyrie Irving is a practicing Muslim. He is doing Ramadan. Ramadan is from Friday, April 1st to Sunday, May 1st. And that's saying I'm not going to eat or drink. That's that's killer. Not drink either. From sunup to sundown. I'm not I'm not eating or I'm not drinking. So when you see something like this, when you see him go out there and score 34 points and he's amazing, and he's one of the best players out there and he's contributing to his God. Do you think that that makes people take notice? Does that make you take notice? And if so, how much notice do you take? Now, I just did an episode on on bad spirits, if you aren't familiar. And Muslims would say that Jesus is not God. They would just say he's a great prophet. So that spirit of God that Kyrie was talking about being inside of him. I hope that spirit of God is not inside of me because I would not call a good spirit. I would not call it a good spirit, even though he did some amazing things, because we're not even talking about the same God. And I just thought about that in his interview, like how many people are intrigued, how many people are captivated by his response and his interview and his ability to contribute his amazing game to the spirit of God being inside of him. When I look at that and say, that's not even a good spirit, that would be a bad spirit. And just to refer back to the last episode, I talked about how some bad spirits can make you or allow people to do some amazing things. And I'm telling you, like Kyrie was killing. You don't even have to like basketball. I know like he was the best player on the court this night. And that's our first world problem question. When people contribute something to their God, when people contribute something to their religion, and then you find out what their religion is, how much notice do you think 
the average person takes? How much notice do you actually take when you see them doing something that's not easy or not something that the average human could do? But side note, I think that not eating and drinking from sunup to sundown is catching up with him because he was giving people the middle fingers. He was cussing at fans and telling them to do all type of crazy stuff. So that prayer and meditation must have wore off. And he's a little hangry right now. But this is our first door problem today. And I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23. Do you think when someone does something amazing and they contribute it to their God, how much notice do people take to that? And this is our first door problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Good Spirit. This is a little short two-part series. The last episode, we discussed bad spirits. Today, we're going to discuss good spirits. And some of you might be like, how are you classifying something as good or how are you classifying something as bad? Because like I just described in the first word problem with Kyrie Irving, some of you like, I wouldn't mind having that spirit, that bad spirit that allows me to score 34 points, shoot 80% and shoot and have 12 assists. I wouldn't mind that. But the reason I classify that as a bad spirit is because one, it's not glorifying God. And when I mention God, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And although that spirit allows Kyrie Irving to do some great things, that spirit is not going to lead him to eternal life. And you're like, well, who are you to say that, CL? How can you say such a thing? I'm basing this off the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. This is not my own personal opinion or my own thoughts, but I'm basing this off of God's word, what the scripture says. Because we must know everything that glitters is not gold. And there are multiple ways to be wrong. And sometimes only one way to be right. And even from an earthly perspective, bad spirits aren't going to allow you to have peace. They're not going to allow you to have rest and assurance and, and confidence. And when I'm talking about confidence and assurance, I'm talking about when some stuff is looking, it's looking bad and some stuff might pop off. Maybe your life is on the line. Someone else's life was on the line. Bad spirits won't allow you to have confidence in, oh, this person is good or, or I'm good, more importantly. And just think about this. If you have a spirit, let's say I'm Muslim and I just went out there and I just had a great game or I just did awesome at my job or I just killed that interview. And I'm thinking about not just now, I'm thinking about eternal life. It's like, how do I know I ever did enough? If my duty, my job is to live religiously, is to do so many good actions, like how do I know I ever did enough? Like, How can I rest assured with that? You can't. But enough about the bad spirit. Let's talk about the good spirit. How do you get it? How do you get the good spirit? 50 Cent once said, when you see perfection in me, you see God. And when you see my imperfections, you see me. That's deep. That's deep. And I don't even think he's a spiritual brother, but that was a deep line. And that always stuck with me. And on this episode of good spirit, we first have to look at how do you receive? How do you get the good spirit? How do you empower it? And the first way is. You don't reject the gospel and Jesus being your savior, because once you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God. You have access to it. The second thing is, once you have the spirit of God, which all Christians do, it's about being obedient to his word, because like I've said before, disobedience muffles and jacks up and distorts the communication between us and God. And the third thing on how to empower the spirit is by by praying, praying and meditating on God's word. 
praying and meditating and allowing God to speak to our hearts. And the fourth one, and this is probably one of the toughest ones that we overlooked, is we have to have an expectation. We have to have an expectation and be ready to respond to the spirit. How many times do we ask for something and did not expect to answer? Or is that just me? Or we say, God, could you please allow your spirit to lead me to do X, Y, and Z? And then we're not ready to move. We're sitting down, chilling. The readiness and the expectations that we should have don't match the spirit and its ability to lead. His ability to come through. Oh, I think I got a good analogy. This is like you tell someone, hey, I'm going to pick you up in 15 minutes. They're like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be dressed and everything. Then when you get there and you realize the person didn't even get out of bed, they still not dressed. They didn't take a shower. They didn't even brush their teeth. But yet they said they would be ready to go. How many times are we like this with the spirit? And I'm one of those type of people that if I'm picking you up, I want you waiting outside. If it's nice, like don't have me waiting. But that's a prime example of because of our expectations and because of our inability to be ready to respond to the spirit, we can't be led by the spirit. So we know how to be empowered by the spirit. Don't reject the gospel. Be obedient. Pray and meditate. Be ready for the spirit to deliver. But it's like, why do we even want the spirit? Like, What's the importance of having the spirit? And there are multiple reasons we want to be empowered and in touch with the spirit. The spirit allows you to do some amazing things as well. Like we talked about the bad spirit, how that allowed people to break out of chains. But a lot of times they look crazy and they look like they were mentally ill. The spirit of God will allow you to do the amazing things without looking crazy, even though you might have some haters. And and a prime example of this is in Acts 2, when the disciples started speaking in tongues. And some people are like, what in the world is speaking in tongues? Speaking in tongues, they were able to speak a completely different language, a completely different language. And the beauty of this is they were able to glorify God through this and allowed to teach. When you are under the spirit of God, your teaching goes completely different because it's not your words. It's God's words. And you are just a vessel that he's using in that moment. And that's an amazing space, an amazing spot to be in. Think about that. Being inspired by God. And people might ask you, like, how did you even come up with that? Or how, what made you say that? And it's like, it wasn't you. It was actually God. God was using you. God was providing the words. God was providing the material for you. That's special. That's something that's awesome. And like I said, even when you are full of the spirit, like it mentions in Acts chapter two, the disciples still had to experience hate and people who were trying to tear down what they were doing by saying they had too much wine to drink. They must be drunk. Look at them brothers talking that different language. It's like if they really were drunk. I don't know about you, but I've seen some drunk people. They don't start speaking another language that they don't know and glorifying God. That's not something drunk people do. They might do a lot of stupid stuff, but talking in a different language is not one of those things. And glorifying God, nah, that's not it. The tequila won't have you speak in Spanish. The Cabernet won't have you speak in Italian. It just won't. Unless you already know it. But even then, it's probably not going to be understood by a lot of people because drunk people slur words and don't talk, talk with a lot of sense. So this is a great example of the disciples being able to teach and speak a different language because they're full of the Holy Spirit. Other examples would be like in Judges chapter 14, verse six, Samson was able to tear apart a lion with his bare hands. That is beastie. Or how about in Judges three? Verse 10, Othniel, it says that the spirit of the Lord came on him and he went to war. 
And he won a whole entire war because of that. The land had peace for 40 years. Now, the chances of the spirit allowing you to rip apart a lion with your bare hands or win an entire war, those are pretty slim. But I know another reason that people will want the spirit is because the spirit leads you to walk the path that God wants you to walk. The spirit leads you to walk the path that God wants you to walk. Now, I'm going to give you two examples, two examples that you might look at and say, those are horrible examples for me wanting to have the spirit and have to walk that path. The first one being the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, hold up, hold up. Don't cut me off. Just actually listen to this. This is in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. We would never take a path that has obstacles or challenges. But we see with this, the spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. And whether you like it or not, you will be tempted in life. But the thing that we see with this is Jesus had the spirit. So would you rather be tempted and not have the spirit? Or would you rather have be tempted and have the spirit there to see you through it? And we have to remember, if you're not putting weight on the bar, you aren't going to get any stronger. It comes a point in time that the only way you get stronger is by adversity, is by resistance. And sometimes we look at other Christians and say, man, they're such a strong Christian. I wonder how they got that. I wonder how they got to that point. They got to that point by walking in the wilderness. They got to that point by dealing with the resistance and adversity and challenges and obstacles and not ducking and dodging it. And the second example of the spirit leading us to walk a path that God wants us to walk is with Peter. Peter was told to go talk to Cornelius. This is in Acts chapter 10. And Peter didn't necessarily want to go. Peter in his mind had what he thought was good. He didn't want to change his ways about certain foods. And we, we sometimes don't want to change our ways about certain things that guys like you probably should change that thought process. I know he's done that to me for sure. And what it seems like is that Peter thought that certain foods made him unique or made him better. And because he had that thought process, he wasn't able to be the best disciple and to share God's word in the best way because he had his thought process. He was stuck in his own ways. So until the spirit of God led him and he allowed the spirit of God to lead him, he couldn't have reached certain people. And you got to ask yourself that question. Is there something holding you back where the spirit of God is telling you to take this path or take this step? And because of that, you aren't able to love and serve and be there for some people or a community that might need you. And this really got me thinking and just being like, man, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing. I don't know who it is. Sometimes you don't know the people that have touched a lot. But I know there have been different teachers, different people in my life, different coaches, different random people that I just talked to that I was able to be blessed because they listened to the spirit of God talking to them. And they might not have wanted to or thought about it on their own, but they listened to the spirit of God. Like, that's a blessing. That is a true blessing that. I think all of us take for granted at times. I know I do at least. And another reason that probably can never be overlooked and probably is the biggest reason for why we want this good spirit, why we want the spirit of God is because the spirit of God gives us wisdom. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 10 and break this down. It says, there are things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now stop right there. God reveals to us in his gospel. He reveals to us in his word. Now he reveals to us in the Bible. Like he doesn't reveal the same way he might have in the Old Testament because he actually has a scripture there to teach us. And you're wondering, like, well, revealed by who? It's revealed by his spirit. 
And it's not something that we can get because we're earthly smart or we think that we're really, really intelligent or we can figure it out or I can investigate it. It's not something that we can come to on our own. It's something that has to come from the spirit. And it goes on to say the spirit teaches all things, even the deep things of God. And that's like getting at our hearts and our soul. And sometimes we don't even know that we're thinking. And verse 11 says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And it's like, well, well what did he give us? The spirit of God is something that only believers have. Like random people just don't have this. They might have another spirit in them, but that's not God. And that is not saying we won't have different like spiritual gifts or different understanding. Or let's say we, we might have different types of wisdom with this. But the basic thing we'll know is that Jesus loves us. Now, I want to switch to the NLT version. Verse 13 says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. So just think about that. You only get the understanding by the spirit. Now, we all started considering like this message stupid or, or foolish when we didn't know Christ. And you just hear sometimes people say, I just don't get how a guy who loves could do fill in the blank or how could God allow this to happen or that to happen? And if you have that thought process, and I think even Christians sometimes wonder that, but people who live by that, if that's the only thing, then this life is everything to them. So they should do whatever they can to make themselves happy or satisfied or to have fun. Verse 15 says, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. People who are not spiritual, and I'm talking about like God's spirit, because how many times do you hear someone say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And then when you get to talking about them, they've created some God that I know nothing about. And it's definitely not the God in the Bible. Those are people that we sometimes get enamored with trying to gain their approval. When the only approval that we really need is from God. Like I think about how many people have, they want their approval of the streets. They want the approval of the world. They want their approval from their business partners. They want their approval from social media or anything. You, you get the picture. You can't be fairly evaluated by them as Christians, as people led by the spirit of God. Verse 16 says this, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. And that's enough said right there. When you have the spirit of God, you can start to have the mind of Christ. And sometimes it's like, I couldn't do what God did because I'm not God. But we understand the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit allow you to have the mind of Christ. And the fruits of the spirits can allow you to have some gentleness, some love, some patience, some faithfulness, and some peace in some situations that just a few years ago, there ain't no way in the world you would have had patience or love or gentleness or self-control. You would have lost it. You would have absolutely lost it. But then comes the question of if we have the spirit of God, if we have the mind of Christ, why do we still do stupid things at times? And I think Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 is a great example of that. 
It says that the spirit of God was in him and he still made a stupid vow that if God gave me this victory, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the door. And if you know that story, he says he was sacrificed as a burnt offering. Actually, his daughter came out of that door and it's like, well, why would he make such a stupid, stupid vow, even though he had the spirit of God in him? And something that we just got to really think about is that despite having the spirit of God, we are not robots. We still have choices and we still can sin. But something for us to just to remember when we do have the spirit of God, especially and we feel like we're full of it and we're feeling passionate about it. The spirit will never go against what God's spirit has already told us and revealed to us in scripture. Like we have God's word there to examine. Like, is this the spirit of God or is this me just having intuition? That's crazy. But the spirit does give you strength. It gives you guidance. It gives you wisdom and it gives you intuition to live according to God's heart, not to your own sinful flesh and desires. And my guess from doing some research on this before is that Jephthah probably looked at other cultures and other religions too much, too much to the point that he saw in other religions that they would do human sacrifices or they had to do something to help their God out. And this isn't a fact, but it is a guess. And how that ties into us is, man, that's exactly like our culture. How many times as Christians do we get enamored by other cultures or what we see in culture every day? And what we're told that goes against God's word. And all of a sudden we're thinking about adapting those practices and those practices go against God's word. And even though we have the spirit of God inside of us, we still do some stupid stuff. Now I wanted to transition on this episode of good spirit to just thinking about how sometimes people use that they have the spirit of God to try to get you to do something or not do something. And what I mean is like, Sister Mary, God told me that you should direct the choir. Or Tyler, the spirit of God has led me to appoint you as treasurer of the church. Have y'all ever had somebody talk to you like the Holy Spirit was talking to them, but you looking like, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything from the Holy Spirit. So where did you get this from? And maybe the Holy Spirit has revealed a plan to you. Or revealed a plan to somebody else or the spirit has told them that you should fulfill a role or a certain person should or you should share this with someone. The spirit told you how you should spend money. Well, that's a big one. And have you ever heard someone do this or have you ever done that? And the big thing that I want to point out with this is one, the spirit won't go against God's word. And I know some of you are thinking like, well, this isn't in the Bible. So how can we say whose word is right? And this brings me to the second point. If someone is in resistance to what you are saying or you are in resistance to someone who says something like you should fulfill this role, God will either allow them to convince you and you will find agreement with them through the scripture or through prayer and through meditation. Or let's say someone disagrees with you. God will end up removing them. And when I say remove, I don't mean like end up killing them. I just mean removing them from the equation of even being a, a possibility. Or what God will also allow is that he will allow that person to stay there and then show you that you're wrong and that it wasn't the spirit and it was your own personal bias. And that word wrong is, is tough for a lot of us to hear. But that's one of those things where you could be led by the spirit to be like, yeah, you were wrong, but you still have a choice to try to force it if you want. Now, a closing thought for this episode of Good Spirit. Christianity is so unique. It's unique because God gives all believers his spirit. We are designed to walk in freedom, 
but yet some of us are slaves to our flesh because we don't believe or we don't want to walk by the spirit man we we have so many excuses and we have so many different fears that we'll miss out on something or we we act at times like our desires of our flesh matter the most and our culture this is in galatians our culture is and this is the same thing today our culture is about sexual morality impurity idolatry hatred jealousy envy rage eye for an eye drunkenness orgies it lists a bunch of different things i just kind of summarize it but when you pray and when you meditate on christ's victory the spirit reveals and reminds you that you have crucified your sinful flesh with all his passions and desires because our savior he did it for us and now because of him we are winners you are a winner i am a winner and the good spirit is empowered because of this and this is the non-microwave truth thanks for joining me on this episode of good spirit this was a little short two-part series if you haven't already checked out bad spirits that was the episode before this i would encourage you to do that peace punch captain crunch say no to drugs and yes to jesus i'm out